So have you got it yet? <laughs> Tagata's true meaning. Have you noticed that the fish are all smiling back there behind the altar? Check that out next time you're going around Kenya. All the fish have smiles on their faces. <laughs> they must have been sitting a very, very long time. Yeah. yeah, and this is the last full day of this retreat. Uh, very special retreat. Many of us are a little rusty. I am certainly rusty uh, after two years uh, of staring at my computer screen, my little MacBook Pro. That's my, my Zendo is in that little place. Uh, and here, to be with all of you and uh, practice together, this really opens the heart. And also, you know, you, rusty memory and how, how do you do that? And is this the way we do it here? And as you may have noticed, uh, it is impossible for me to remember that we're going to do the Milgatha. <laughs> impossible. It seems like there's some cleavage <laughs> that's not happening. Uh, and, uh, and at the same time, it's just joyful here. I've never enjoyed, I have been here many times. I was even received my Dharma transmission here. And I've never enjoyed it as much as this time. It's just a wonderful time together. And I appreciate all of you who've come back and I haven't seen in, in, in some time. And those of you that I've seen online on a regular basis <laughs> all the time. So, so it just, I wanted to share that, that wonderful feeling I have uh, of, of what we're doing. And at the same time, I'm seeing the uh, Jukai participants getting ready. And behind the scenes this morning, we were, Shinryu and I were working on the uh, documents, uh, the Kechimiyakus that they've created and their, their rakasus and uh, preparing for that, that ceremony, which will be next Sunday, and you can see that online. I think uh, it's great to know that, again, there, there are like uh, 11 people who are taking this major step of taking the precepts. It's quite wonderful. Um, and also, I wanted to also mention, I, I didn't pull out any little juicy tidbit from every Dharma talk that was given. And yet, I appreciated each one so much. And at the end of the Dharma talk, uh, I would sit and I would go for a walk and, and it would kind of work on me. And, and I appreciate the effort that goes in in the middle of Sashin to those who uh, prepare a talk. So thank you so much. That's great. Right. Uh, and our Shuso giving us, giving us a, a talking to so intimate uh, before our, uh, our work practice. And I appreciate that too. And all the work that goes into the ceremonies. I know this can sound like pro forma, but actually, if we don't appreciate, you know, we miss it all. And the appreciation can't be just some silent nod. It has to be, you know, kind of expressed. And when we express our appreciation, uh, we really feel it. We, and we also know that 
this is something I want to do again. This is, this is a deep practice of being with other people and working together. And it's heartfelt. Uh, and so thank you for being here. Being here, your being here made it possible for me to enjoy this, this session so much. That's great. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, there's been at least a glimpse of this light <laughs> that we've been talking about throughout the session. Uh, our Ango text encourages us uh, to be healed from our ailments through this light. And, you know, I think most of us come to practice because we sense something missing, a kind of sickness. There's a kind of something that's not quite healthy that we want to, to strengthen. Uh, we want to make ourselves healthier in, in a certain kind of way. Uh, and uh, so I selected a koan to talk about this today. It's from the Blue Cliff Record. Uh, case 87, uh, medicine and sickness subdue each other. So think about Sashin and ordinary life. Medicine and sickness uh, subdue each other. So in these koans in the Blue Cliff, uh, there's always something called a pointer which is at the beginning of the, of the uh, koan that's being, and kind of, it is exactly a pointer. <laughs> it points to the point of the koan. So this one reads, a clear-eyed person has no nest. You know, just that. I mean, you could just sit with that. What is my nest? How do I settle myself in and protect myself from reality. A clear-eyed person has no nest. On the summit of a solitary peak, weeds grow in profusion. Sometimes they are naked and free in the marketplace. Suddenly they appear as an angry titan with three heads and eight arms. Suddenly as sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. They release the light of all-embracing mercy. In a single atom, they manifest all physical forms. To save people according to their type, they mix with mud and water. So we get the, the business about the nest. We so often create a comfortable little place for us to react and think about things. And, uh, a person who's really clear doesn't have that nest, needs to keep, keep flying, keep moving, keep changing, keep reorienting ourselves to, to our realities. Uh, and this business about a solitary peak, weeds grow in profusion, you know, that's like referring to, uh, to getting getting so comfortable, even in our meditation practice, and even in our, what we call our Zen practice, can get to be a place of confusion. Because uh, we begin to block out what is happening to us. So it's a warning. 
Practice is really important. We must do practice. And at the same time, don't let practice become a poison. It is medicine. It is medicine. And that's, that's really the, uh, the point of this uh, practice. Uh, I mean, of this uh, early pointer. In a single atom, they manifest all physical forms. To save people according to type, they mix with mud and water. So, you know, you could think of that, of course, obviously, uh, not being too pure uh, when you go home to your ordinary lives uh, tomorrow. Don't expect everyone to be these, uh, have been sitting for seven days or 14 days. Uh, and very often there's a little conflict when we re-enter our family situation, our work situation, or just our neighbor situation. Oh, they're not all enlightened, you know? Uh, they're so reactive. Uh, so that's something, that's, that's what it's warning us about. So if you think of yourself as a clear-eyed person that has no nests, no fixed idea of the world. That's what no nest means, not having a fixed idea of the world. Uh, what is your automatic response to stress? Usually it's greed, anger, or ignorance. When there's great stress, I want more or I want to push it away, or I don't want to know about it. I'm in complete denial. How do we get out of the nest? So the prologue here in this uh, koan says, sometimes on the summit, of a solitary peak, weeds grow in profusion. Sometimes people are naked and free in the marketplace. Suddenly they appear as an angry titan with three heads and eight arms, or suddenly as a sun-faced or moon-faced Buddha. They release their light of all-embracing mercy. I surely can recognize myself as angry and reactive in one moment and compassionate and kind on the next. It's important to allow that realization to be present and not be living in a fantasy. Either way, I'm always an angry titan and I'm always a compassionate Buddha, either way. Moment to moment, we have an opportunity to express our Buddha nature. So the prologue ends with that encouraging line, in a single atom, you know, I'm going to, instead of saying they, I'm going to say we. In a single atom, we manifest all physical forms to save people according to their type. We mix with mud and water. You know, you could say that 
as I keep uh, referring to when we go back home and we're relating to uh, co-workers or we're relating to partners or neighbors, uh, but it's also internally when you, when you are relating to different aspects of yourself and, and your reactivity, uh, you know, give it a little softness, give it a little blessing, that's what he's saying. Save yourself according to your type. We can respond creatively to our personal lives as citizens as well, as Sangha members and friends, as healers in a broken world. Some of you here go to the prison that Jiryu uh, and Ryotan uh, Roshi, of course, uh, headed that for many years, but he's turned, turned it over to Jiryu. And some of you here go to Sing Sing Prison or trying to get back in. Uh, we've, there's all kinds of, you know, there's more, many, many more problems with the administration and with the, uh, the controllers than the controlled in that environment. Uh, but others of you are working on pollution and, and, and just the kind of uh, life of greed that we face in this world. Uh, and it's always calling us to respond, to find the right tone, the right way for each of us to respond, given our situation and, and opportunity. Sometimes we're an angry titan fighting for beneficial change, marching, calling a politician. Be a good idea for you to do that this year. And some far, sometimes we're just a sun-faced Buddha releasing light to a troubled friend, someone in the coffee shop. You know, sometimes it's just patience and, and smile. And it's a gift to someone who needs that. Expedient means to relieve the suffering, not worrying about being holy or enlightened. And do what's right. So here's the koan. Medicine and sickness subdue each other. The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? Medicine and sickness subdue each other. The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? What is that subduing between medicine and sickness? You know, when we're sick, uh, obviously, medicine subdues, overcomes, cures our sickness. But when we're not sick, medicine is not medicine. Only in sickness is it medicine. So disease, by its inactivity, 
or its absence overcomes the functioning of medicine. As it says, you know, the absence of disease subdues medicine. So think about that in terms of your personal issues and the personal issues of those that you might meet. What is medicine in one case and what is sickness in another? I think of addictions. I'm very friendly with addictions. The poison of grasping, grasping for more. For more medicine, for more food, for more attention. Drugs can help us, but not when we're not sick. That medicine is unnecessary. So when we realize that we're grasping after something, it's important for us to recognize and to look at the causes and conditions that brought us to that grasping state. And if you're not suffering from grasping, it's not a problem. I try that with my coffee. I'm not grasping for this. What is the koan telling us about the interaction between medicine and sickness in terms of practice? Personally, I, I take meditation to cure my sickness. And it does. But somehow a new sickness arises out of the medicine. And that's how sickness subdues medicine. But of course, I'm talking about the misuse of meditation medicine. So yeah, sometimes our practice can be poison. If it becomes a way to hide, if it becomes a way to look good to yourself, to look good, to avoid what's uncomfortable, to shove it away, to not meet your life, to build a false sense of self, an ego trip, we call it then the medicine has become poison. So I think it's important when we think of the precepts, our guidelines for consciousness, we vow to follow the medicine of the precepts. Pay attention to non-harming, 
non-harming of life, non-harming of possessions, of sex. We vow to notice the very medicine that becomes a sickness. So how do we know? How do we encounter true medicine? Cohen tells us, the whole earth is medicine, the whole earth, all of it. Even this magnificent strange sound that comes every few hours. <laughs> it's like, is there a volcano in the bell tower? The whole earth is medicine, what is yourself? That's medicine. So that, that story, that's referring to a, a, an old story um, about Manjusri and Sudana. So uh, Sudana, when Manjusri ordered Sudana to come and bring some medicinal herbs. Um, and he said, uh, but while you're looking for the medicinal herbs, if you find something that's not medicine, bring that to me. So Sudana went out and he looked all over, but he could find nothing that was not medicine. So he went back and he told Manjushri, there's nothing that is not medicine. Manjushri said, well, then give me something that is medicine. And Sudana picked up a blade of grass and handed it to Manjushri. And Manjushri looks at this blade of grass, right? Says, this medicine can kill people and also bring people to life. The Rinzai master, Sakita Roshi, said, used as medicine, everything is medicine. Used as poison, everything is poison. So where are you these days in the world? Are you of the world? Or are you the world itself? If the whole earth is medicine, are you medicine? Can you serve as medicine? And what is not medicine? What about you? Just at that point of the interaction of medicine and sickness, right there is where our self is. It's just right there. Moment to moment, nonstop flow. And that's why we say, finally, nothing can be said. But I have more words.
It's in the verse. The verse reads, the whole earth is medicine. Why have ancients and moderns been so mistaken? I don't make the cart behind closed doors. The road through is naturally quiet and empty. Though they be as high as the sky, your nostrils have been pierced. So, you know, it starts out with, okay, the whole earth is medicine, got that. Why have ancients and moderns been so mistaken? Why do we take up a practice at all? Why do we do this kind of bizarre thing? Sit with our thoughts and our feelings quietly for hours and hours. What is the medicine? Hmm. And uh, then it says, I don't make this cart behind closed doors. So don't, don't make a zen in your mind. This is my, I'm going to mainline my zen during this retreat. Allow it to be open and free. Allow it to happen. Not to go down that old road you've been on before. Even though maybe it was a very nice road. But it's not now. Uh, the verse says, the road is naturally quiet and empty. Whether we're sick or not, the road is naturally quiet and empty. Can you feel that right now after days of session in your whole body? And then the next line is my favorite line in this. Wrong, wrong. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's what I love about Zen. It's not going to let you sit anywhere. As the expression in Zen is you can't make a nest anywhere. You just you can't do it. It's like, oh, yes, oh, yes, the Shin, yeah, it's the best, it's the best. No, not really. <laughs> it can serve as medicine as well as dot, dot, dot. Though they be as high as the sky, your nostrils have still been pierced. So, you know, that's, that's a, a, a reference to being caught, like, uh, like they would catch animals and they would pierce their nostrils and then you, you get pulled around by your nostrils. So, uh, no matter how much you understand, I think it's saying, you're still caught up. No matter how much you understand, you're still caught up because understanding you're separate. I understand it. So I'm, I'm just throwing out these difficult questions on the last day of session. I don't know why. <laughs> it just came to me that this is what I wanted to talk about. Uh, maybe because the precept study is going on in the barn, you know, and the precepts are so important to us. Uh, how do we follow the precepts? 
How do we stay fresh and alive? You know, we practice our koan, or maybe we're counting the breath as we're sitting, or maybe we're doing shikantaza and just, just sitting there, waiting for the next moment to sit there again. And yet, this is the very way that we find to experience the world with freshness and aliveness. You know, it's all contradictions. And Zen so much, it wants to teach us that. Don't get stuck in this, this way, one, two, three. That's thank goodness we have. I remember when I first began practicing, it was like I thought you only sat. And then I discovered to my horror there were chanting and bowing and there was all this paraphernalia, there were robes to wear and it was just all this business. <laughs> but it teaches us that their life is full of all kinds of forms. And there are forms that allow us to put ourselves in a situation where we can be grateful and appreciative and honor life and the other, all that is around us. So it's like counting the breath. I mean, why would you want to count your breath? We learn to practice, and we learn to practice reverence. And that's something particularly in our society, it's just not, doesn't go very far, to really revere our practice as an expression of our desire to be alive and fresh in the moment and serve ourselves and others. We learn by using the practice of Zen. You know, it's like when we went all Zoom for two years. Uh, it was, it brought many people to, uh, to us that were not able, had never practiced before. And for those, some of us who only knew one way of practice, like in-person practice, we never thought there was such a thing other than in-person practice. <laughs> uh, it was kind of hard. But it was weird and unusual, and we did it. And how now we're back. Uh, I myself am quite rusty. You know, it's like, oh, and then we do this, and then we do that. I can't believe I'm rusty. I've been doing this for 40 years. I am rusty. Uh, but I appreciate the practice that we have, that we have built together uh, for this particular session. All of you who've worked so hard to keep this going. It's a wonderful dance to improvise music from our own breath. I encourage you to continue taking the medicine of Zazen. I encourage you to practice wherever you can. And here's my gatha for you. We practice together. It's a wonderful dance, improvised like music. 
precepts, zazen, medicine, sickness, self, you and me, nonstop flow. Thank you for your practice. <laughs>